0: Green Pastures are the weekly devotions published by Vineyard Boise, consisting of four parts, the reading, the reflection, the question, and the prayer. Green Pastures Sunday edition for Sunday, October 16th. A light flaring up in the darkness. Another one-liner just to complete the week. This one from Proverbs, Proverbs 14.10 to be exact, Those who shun the bitter moments of friends will be an outsider at their celebrations. Life is a constant surge of the bitter and the sweet, sometimes alternating, but mostly mixed. The trick of it is learning how to be present to each other in both, not merely to celebrate when it's sweet, but also in an organic, unforced way to evoke celebration in the midst of the bitter as well. There is a caution here, too, from Proverbs, along the lines that singing praises to a bitter heart is like taking away a garment on a cold day. Such is also compared to essentially the loud, crackling fizz of soda. All noise, no substance. Essentially Paul's noisy gong or cacophonous cymbals. So let it be organic and unforced. On such occasions, we need not a cheerleader but a helpful and thoughtful celebration evoker. Such was Paul on that storm-tossed ship in Acts 27 amidst a distraught crew. Significantly, this is the only other occasion in our New Testament where that word from James, euthume, occurs. As Paul tells the 276 passengers and crew to be of good cheer. You thume, be of good cheer. Because in the midst of the storm, the angel of God had appeared and passed on a message of deliverance. The ship would be lost, but every last one of them would be saved. They'd all make it. So let's eat, he told them, and then get on with the business of surviving the wreck of this day. Victor Frankl, relates something similar in his book Man's Search for Meaning when he was similarly summoned to buoy the spirits of his fellow inmates in a Nazi concentration camp. Frankel writes, It had been a bad day. On parade, an announcement had been made about the many actions that would from then on be regarded as sabotage and therefore punishable by immediate death by hanging. Yeah, that's enough to but the damper on any day, even in a concentration camp. Among these were crimes such as cutting small strips from our old blankets in order to improvise ankle supports, and very minor thefts. A few days previously, a semi-starved prisoner had broken into the potato store to steal a few pounds of potatoes. The theft had been discovered, and some prisoners had recognized the burglar. When the camp authorities heard about it, they ordered that the guilty man be given up to them or the whole camp would starve for a day. Naturally, the 2,500 men preferred to fast. On the evening of this day of fasting, we lay in our earthen huts in a very low mood. Very little was said, and every word sounded irritable. Then, to make matters worse, the light went out tempers reached their lowest ebb. But our senior block warden was a wise man. He improvised a little talk about all that was on our minds at that moment. He talks about the many comrades who had died in the last few days, either of sickness or suicide. But he also mentioned what may have been the real reason for their deaths, giving up hope. He maintained that there should be some way of preventing possible future victims from reaching this extreme state, and it was to me that the warden pointed to give this advice. God knows I was not in the mood to give psychological explanations or to preach any sermons, to offer my comrades a kind of medical care for their souls. I was cold and hungry, irritable and tired but I had to make the effort and use this unique opportunity. Encouragement was now more necessary than ever. So I began by mentioning the most trivial of comforts first. I said that even in this Europe in the sixth winter of the second world war, our situation was not the most terrible we could think of. I said that each of us had to ask himself what irreplaceable losses he had suffered up to then. I speculated that for most of them, these losses had really been few. Whoever was still alive had reason for hope. Health, family, happiness, professional abilities, fortune, position in society, all these were things that could be achieved again or restored. After all, we still had our bones intact. Whatever we had gone through could still be an asset to us in the future. And I quoted from Nietzsche, Was mich nicht unbringt, macht mich stärker. That which does not kill me makes me stronger. Then I spoke about the future. I said that to the impartial, the future must always seem hopeless. I agree that each of us could guess for himself how small were his chances of survival. I told them that, although there was still no typhus epidemic in the camp, I estimated my own chances at about 1 in 20. But I also told them that, in spite of this, I had no intention of losing hope and giving up, for no man knew what the future would bring, much less the next hour. Even if we could not expect any sensational military events in the next few days, who knew better than we, with our experience of camps, how great chances sometimes opened up quite suddenly, at least for the individual. For instance, one might be attached unexpectedly to a special group with exceptionally good working conditions, for this was the kind of thing which constituted the luck of the prisoner. But I did not only talk of the future and the veil which was drawn over it, I also mentioned the past all of its joys, and how its light shone even in the present darkness. Again, I quoted a poet, to avoid sounding like a preacher myself, who had written, der What you have experienced, no power on earth can take from you. Not only our experiences, but all we have done, whatever great thoughts we may have had, and all we have suffered, all this is not lost though it is past we have brought it into being having been is also a kind of being and perhaps the surest kind then i spoke of the many opportunities of giving life a meaning i told my comrades who lay motionless although occasionally a sigh could be heard that human life under any circumstances never ceases to have a meaning and that this infinite meaning of life includes suffering and dying, privation and death. I ask the poor creatures who listened to me attentively in the darkness of the hut to face up to the seriousness of our position. They must not lose hope, but should keep their courage in the certainty that the hopelessness of our struggle did not detract from its dignity and its meaning. I said that someone looks down on each of us in difficult hours, a friend, a wife, somebody alive or dead, or a god, and he would not expect us to disappoint him. He would hope to find us suffering proudly, not miserably, knowing how to die. Finally, I spoke of our sacrifice, which had meaning in every case. It was in the nature of this sacrifice that it should appear to be pointless in the normal world. world of material success, but in reality, our sacrifice did have meaning. Those of us who had any religious faith, I said frankly, could understand without difficulty. I told them of a comrade who on his arrival in camp had tried to make a pact with Heaven that his suffering and death should save the human being he loved from a painful end. For this man, suffering and death were meaningful. His was a sacrifice of the deepest significance. He did not want to die for nothing. None of us wanted that. The purpose of my words was to find a full meaning in our life then and there, in that hut and in that practically hopeless situation. I saw that my efforts had been successful. When the electric light bulb flared up again, I saw the miserable figures of my friends limping toward me to thank me with tears in their eyes. But I have to confess here that only too rarely had I the inner strength to make contact with my companions in suffering, and that I must have missed many opportunities for doing so.